This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. For the 23-24 season, the West Ham Way is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised West Ham fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King have launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Drop them a follow on Instagram and you won't just be the first to know about all this, you'll be helping out the West Ham way. Listen to the West Ham way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself Dave Walker, an XWHU employee. This week we reflect on a poor performance at Turf Moor, but one that still saw us leave with three valuable points. Also, Palace and Fulham are coming up and we speak to a man that played for both clubs, Andrew Johnson, before getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. another poor performance and another three points <laughs> um, give us your thoughts on the game at Turf Moor well that was pretty much it isn't it up, up yeah. until about the um, 85th minute or so I was sitting there thinking my god like what a long way to drive and to travel and be at this ground to see us lose to the, the bottom place team that hadn't picked up a single point at home you know it was all sort of depressing emotions and then and then at the 86th minute or whatever it was things things well actually to be fair they changed a bit before that with the substitutions of Ben Rama and Mabama but um, the actual impact of them happened in the 86th minute and then obviously we got the winner and it goes from being a very gloom 
and depressing day up north to a, an enjoyable away game that I'm glad I went to. So uh, it's a difficult one because you know if you're if you're you go to West Ham to be entertained and your your priority is more the performance and the entertainment, then that isn't for you that performance. But if you're more about the ultimate outcome and the results and where we are in the league and what we're doing in other trophies and so on, then it's another great three points away from home. So this and this is the split in the fan base. At the moment, you've got one side that sit on that side and the other that sit on that side. So, but yeah, it's three points at the end of the day. We sit, was it three points off Newcastle, where everyone sings a great, having a great season? You know, we're, we're if you look at the league table and where we actually sit, you know, we're four points above Chelsea, two points from Brighton, three from Newcastle, and six off of Spurs. You know, who sit yeah. here. And everyone's yeah. talking about what an amazing season Andrew's had. And you know Spurs play Man City. This weekend, we play Palace. We pick up three points going into the Spurs v West Ham game. Next Thursday, if we win that, we'd be on level points with Tottenham. So, you know, it's all if and ifs and buts at the moment. But at the end of the day, it's a, that's the, the facts. And, yeah, it's a, real, it's a real game that would divide opinion among the fan base, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, actually. I mean, do you think it's unrealistic for fans to want both? To to have entertaining, exciting football and win more than we lose? No, I don't think it's unrealistic because it happens, doesn't it? You know, you get teams that play entertaining football and do win. But, uh, you know, it's what... I think in some ways we have to just think of where we've been in our recent history. And the fact is, you know, again, if you look at that league table and you look at facts rather than opinions, you know, the relegation spot, the top, the, the highest one is 18. Sheffield United sit on five points with 15 points ahead of them. You know, five wins ahead of being in a relegation spot, which for West Ham, even based upon last season, you know, is a, is a, is a big achievement. And I think, I think you can expect more. The ultimate for any football fan is to be entertained, play great football and win. But you have to also take into consideration that I'm not sure many teams entertain me anymore, the way football has evolved. And also the competition in the Premier League is such that, you know, other teams are strong. You know, I think this is probably the weakest in terms of teams that will go down in a long while. But, you know, you look at that, that league table, anyone can beat anyone. And to to be consistently performing in a results basis that we have done for a while now is, is for me, the ultimate. And then ultimately, if you can continue to do that, then you want the start of play to, to be more entertaining. But for me at the moment... I'm more happy just to take the results at the moment, but that's that's my opinion. There's others out there that would rather be, you know, watching great football and maybe see us draw. Um, so mm. yeah, it's what it's what your personal preference is. But I do think you can do both. The best managers in the world will do both. But then mm. even then, if you look at some of the best managers, there are one things you could question whether their style of football was great. You know, look at the Arsenal back in the day, you know, one nil to the Arsenal, known for the offside trap. You know, like it's the Chelsea's mm. Marine, Chelsea's Mar- under Mourinho weren't the most entertaining of teams. You know, it's very rare that you get ultimate winners and ultimate entertainers. Mm. It is an interesting debate, isn't it? Because it does seem to be this constant divide all the time between fans, uh, mainly on social media. And it just does seem to be you're even more in, you're more out. I don't really speak to many people that are kind of easy either way. It seems to be very staunch on one side or the other. And it's uh, 
It is interesting. Um, and no doubt it's a debate that will continue throughout the rest of the season. But going back to the Burnley game, a soft penalty conceded by Mo, who, like everyone else, wasn't having the best of days. But then his quality shines through and he has a hand in both goals. How good is it to have a player that can change a game like that? Yeah, he's brilliant, mate. I mean, I think technically he's got to be our best player. I mean, you could you could make a case for obviously Packetar, you can make a case for Bowen. Um, but I think in terms of actual impact on the game, you know, I think Bowen obviously has that with his goals and stuff, but I think he's his you know, I think in terms of all round quality, I think Kudos has got it all and I think he's only just got started, you know, he's barely had a pre season um in England. Uh he's barely sort of broke into the team yet as such where he's you no know, regular starter because he was on the bench when he first came I think he's only going to get better and better his age suggests that that will happen as well and so I think we've got an absolute gem there and I really think he is a quality player I mean look look at the game again like you know as you said probably not having the greatest of, of games but he's a game changer you know he he created both goals and and you can't you can't um argue with that and and ultimately his his two assists have led us to win the game and I just think he's a great player and I'm really excited to see how he'll evolve over the next few seasons yeah he's such an exciting player just a sort of player West Ham fans absolutely adore and it's just it's just so good to see him in a West Ham shirt on a decent deal and um, like you say, it's, it's it's early days for him, really. Not just the, the the division, but the country. And he just looks so composed and and confident and full of self belief. And he, he, like I say, he's just so exciting to watch. I'm just so pleased to have him. Um, he really is some player, some player. I mean, there's been a lot of question marks over Moyes' in-game management. We've raised them a lot ourselves on the podcast, X. But to be fair to him, on a 63rd minute, on comes Mabama and Ben Rama for Ings and Alvarez, mm. and it effectively changed the game, didn't it? Giggle it spot on, and, and actually, I'm going to say I I I was saying for Sue checking Ings to go off. I just thought we were offering. Oh, here we in. fucking go. Scoring <laughs> the winning goal isn't enough for this trick. <laughs> and uh, I kind of said that on purpose, so you could do your impression as well. So there's a bit a bit of a bit of self sacrifice there as well. But um, I um, I um, I just felt like we weren't doing anything down the middle. But the thing with Sue Check then was in the back of my mind, he is popping up with goals at the moment regularly and and again Moyes was proven right taking Alvarez off was a bit of a gamble I mean there's a there's a bigger picture to it in the sense that he was booked and he was late back from international duty and he played extra time for um, Mexico during that time he was away so he was probably fatigued and also with a booking as well and the way he plays he'd risked him getting sent off sending off sent off sorry so I think there's a there is a case that it almost pushed Moyes to make that decision but again it is the right decision because I think Ben Rama you know again his end products is questionable but he gave us impetus by being, taking people on and showing intent and then Suchek does what Suchek does best and that's getting on the end of balls in the box and you know you, you can't knock the contribution that Suchek has made this season now it's a lot better than it was last season and regardless of what he does um, sort of for the rest of the game if he defends set plays as well as he does and then he's chipping in with goals I think can't remember the actual stat but for goals for his country and club and to games it's something like 9 in 16 or something ridiculous mm. like that and and when you're getting that from midfield 
you can't argue him, and it was a great finish. And as we all know, he's he's a great lad, and you know Moy's got that on spot on. I mean, you could flip it back to the point that should Mabama have been starting in the first place ahead of Ings? So if he'd made the right call at the start of the game, he wouldn't have then had to make that call during the game. Mm. Um, but as far as the substitution goes, we were losing 1-0 at the time. He makes the sub and we win 2-1. So you, you can only say positives about it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I mean, do you think Divin's inclusion will do anything for either party on the contract talks? Yeah, I think it will help. I think it will show the impact that he can have. It's also shown now, albeit because Antonio and Bowen were out, but it showed he could get in the team. If I was Moyes, I 1 million percent would start Obama in Europe in the week um, because I think you've got to look at the two options, Ings and Obama. Ings is playing so massively off form that it's almost borderline cruel and he's saying cruel he's getting 120 grand a week to do it but <laughs> if you take if you take that that side out of it it's almost cruel for him to be kept putting in the firing line like this where he's clearly not performing clearly not suited to our system he doesn't even really and I don't know if I'm being harsh here but appear to be making enough effort to try and change the situation whether he's just happy that he's going to the end of his career on a big paycheck you'd have to know Danny Ings to know the answer to that but I would stop playing him now and I would make sure that Obama starts because he's got positive momentum and Ings has got negative they couldn't be any polar opposites the fans were calling for Obama he came on he changed the game alright the first goal was given as an own goal but he was an influence in that goal and I just think Europe against a, a Serbian team away from home you haven't got a big crowd we should be better than them. That's the game he has to start. And, and if he starts that game, it wouldn't surprise me if he scores. And then that starts this whole like positive momentum for him, which ultimately I think will lead to him getting a contract. Because let's be honest, if the manager is to be Moyes long-term, then he doesn't, uh, find signing forwards very easy shall we say and he's got a forward here that he trusts enough to tell him he's not playing for the academy academy anymore and he's not going on loan because I trust you that much if that's the case and Moyes must rate him to an extent then he should get a new deal and he should get that new deal soon I think and then we start to build upon him and the many other very good academy players that we've got coming through there's a concern that you've got about eight players that could potentially leave in the summer that's only a concern if you don't bring in maybe four established players and then you use the four academy because the four academy players that could come in could have the impact Obama has as well. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm pleased for the lad, very pleased for him. Well, it's also the bigger picture, X, as well, isn't it? Because if you're an academy player at West Ham and then you're sort of hearing and seeing that Obama is potentially going to leave or not sign a new contract because he's not getting opportunities when a lot of those academy players probably believe that he should be, that doesn't send the right message to them, does it? No, exactly. You have to start showing some trust and and value in him and giving him opportunities because, to be fair, and I've said this about Divin from the start, whenever I've seen him play, he looks so composed. He doesn't look like there is an occasion that would be overwhelming for him. So psychologically, I think he's ready. And from what I've seen from him, which isn't that much, I think he's looked good. He certainly offers more than Danny Ings does, in my opinion. So hopefully we'll see more of him. And um, it was it was great to see his inclusion and uh, the influence that he had on the game because whilst he, he ran off celebrating it like every good striker should have done and it wasn't his goal, he was there or thereabouts. He, he, was, he was a handful. It was trouble for him and he, he made that goal happen. So 
good luck to him. And it was good to see that smile on his face, that's for sure. Um, X, there were two penalty incidents in the game. One was given against us, one wasn't. What did you make of both decisions? I mean, both of the penalty instances were very, very um, soft, very soft, both of them. Um, you could make an argument for each case, I think. You know, I think there was contact in both, but the contact was very minimal in both. And, you know, I think the second penalty is given, perhaps because they were debating the first one so much and couldn't make mm. up their mind, they just made it easier to not give one and then to give one in terms of balancing it out. Um, but if... You know, both penalty decisions I thought were harsh. Um, or, or, well, weren't, sorry, both penalty decisions I thought were not penalties. If they were penalties, they were very, very soft ones. Very, very soft. And you see more stonewall penalties not given than than the one that was given, definitely. Again, I think it's another, another example of sign of the times in modern day football. Because I remember in the good old days of football, it, it was so black and white penalties. But now it's another grey area because, again, you could argue with Shu Fowl, I, th- I think that would have been soft if it was given because yeah. I think, for me, he's just naturally planted his foot. He hasn't lunged. There was no intention. Mm. But uh, there was contact. So, yeah. so what is it? Is it? Is it purely down to intentional contact? Because it's quite rare that a defender will deliberately try and foul another player in the box. You, you're oh, always gosh, intentionally yeah, yeah. going to go for the ball. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's a grey area. Um, with Mo's one, I think it's just clumsy. I didn't have too many complaints about that, if I'm honest. But No, yeah, I mean, again, it, was, it was a penalty. But at the end yeah. of the day, you, what's the, 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 the confusing thing like you allude to there with penalties is how much contact has they got to be for it to yeah. be a penalty because at the end of the day you know people players clever players tricky wingers forwards whatever the minute they feel a bit of contact they're trained now to go down and get the penalty because technically mm. any contact or any contact sorry makes a penalty but really you know at any level you've played the game and if anything it's uh, it's harder at lower level than it is at top level that if you get a, a contact how regularly does that contact if you're a strong enough player which all these Premier League players should be? How re- how often does that contact do enough to completely knock you over? You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's that's the, the debate. Obviously, if you completely swipe someone's legs away or or whatever, it's going to send them flying. But minimal contact, like, like Shafal's one, was was that enough to make him go down like that? I, I would say no, and I think that's why the penalty was given. It was not given. Sorry, um, but yeah, technically it was a penalty that was that we got against us but you know it's just so soft now they're just such such soft challenges that it just it's frustrating because you just don't know what you can and can't do no and another inconsistency in the game is if that's not a penalty why is it not booked for simulation Exactly. Well, look at the, yeah, the first one is ridiculous. She goes and books two West Ham players for simulating that it should be a yellow card. Yet, the, yet he hasn't given yeah, a yellow card. He hasn't given <laughs> a yellow card because he's decided it wasn't a penalty, which therefore means the player must have dived. So therefore, it means the player should get a yellow card. So effectively, that's three yellow cards he's got wrong. Two for the players that have had to point it out, and one for the player that he didn't book. It's just, it, I just don't get the sort of lack of intelligence sometimes on these things because mm. you know like 
the answer should be there. The answer should be that this is this is it. So has he decided that yes, there wasn't contact, so it wasn't a dive, but there wasn't enough contact for it to be a penalty? Is that the decision he's made? Um, because if that's the decision he's made, you can apply that to the to the penalty he did give, and then. But then, if that is the decision he's made, is that the rules? Is that a rule? I don't know if it's a rule. You know, and again, the rule I thought that there was was if a player dives, they get booked. So is he saying yeah. the player didn't dive? You know, it's just they just create it's all, all over these, the place, isn't it? It is. They create all these grey areas for themselves because there's just such a lack of that c word. Um, and that c word, believe it or not, is consistency. Uh, <laughs> I can think of another one when it comes to referee. Say, well, there's plenty of them, but there's not a, there's not enough of the other ones. So, and it's just uh, it's just um, yeah, it's so frustrating because I think it makes fans managers, players, everyone involved in the game, doubt what is actually going on. When this, this this shouldn't be the case. It's a game. A game, whatever game you play, should have clear rules to how you win and how you lose and what you can and can't do. This is the biggest, most expensive, most watched game in the world. And yet it's the one where the rules are often the most confused. It's just stupid. It's ridiculous, mate. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, the bottom line is performance aside, which is a, is a separate conversation as to whether that is sustainable or not, it was a good win away from home. Mm. And uh, here's what the gaffer had to say after the game. Boss football, yet again, you know, five minutes to go, you're probably scratching your head thinking, where's it coming from? And then Devine makes a decent run, Mo, and then we score an added time yeah. again. Yeah, we get we get a goal out of nothing, Devine done great and, mm. and you know, worked it through and... We get a, the own goal from it, but hey, you know, defined done brilliant to get into to make the opportunity. Mm. Yeah, it didn't look as if we were going to get one. We had about three or four corners, and the ball was not going in. And then we get a couple headed out, and we shot wide, or we it was blocked. And I thought we, it looked like we weren't going to get it, but mm. look, we we're resilient. We stick at it. We are, you know, they don't give in. The players have got great commit, mm. commitment, all of them. Uh, so there was always a chance we could do that and thankfully we got it today Mo said to us that after the penalty he was determined that he was going to play a part and get us back in the game obviously yeah. it took a few minutes but you know he did stick. he yeah. sort of personified us didn't he yeah look I've got to say that's, that's the attitude I want to hear I'm glad I'm here and that's what he's saying because he, he did he had a really hard day because they've been away in international duty and they've been away all over mm. Africa and games when he came back really late very little training mm. I thought the last 10 minutes he let it up for us he, he started to, to do better he was quiet for long periods in the game today mm. uh, but we were we were generally quiet we didn't play uh, as well as we could have done certainly not in the first half second half we played and, and looked more threatening than we had in the first half it's not an excuse but the international break breaks completely the wrong word isn't it there's, there's players as you said we've got players I think Mo went to the Indian Ocean you've got Edson yeah. flying across the Atlantic you know, it's, it. You know, when you go on holiday, that yeah. it, it makes your legs feel a bit heavy. But these guys are going playing football, training, come back. They've got one day, probably or two days, and then they've got to play in the Premier League, yeah. which is highly intense. Well, the, the biggest worry for me today was Eddie. Mm. Uh, Eddie only get back to he threw at five o'clock on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, he had extra time in his game, uh, and he's also had the jet lag of of you Noemi, know, who's been across the, the American size. I'll, I'll tell you how bad the jet lag is. Yeah. So we even today, I mean. In another day, we might have said we wouldn't play Eddie mm. because he, I just felt as if he was out of steam yesterday. 
Uh, and I said to him, look, I'm going to get it. So the minute he got booked, it actually was always making my decision easy, but I was taking him off anyway because I, I needed to try and protect him a little bit. Uh, and uh, the boys who go away, really, really difficult, you know, that for them to come back and be to be, to be, be right at it in the next game. You mentioned Divine. Whether or not he gets credited with the goal, the energy that he gave you up front, you must have really enjoyed that. I did. Like, I've got to say that Danny Ings done a lot of good things in the first half. Uh, yeah. you know, we held it up quite well when we got it into him. We didn't, mm. we didn't create any chances. But I have to say, I thought uh, when we needed to chase the ball in the second half and we were running out a bit of legs, mm. Devine's got bundles of it and mm. he's a, a willing worker. You know, doesn't doesn't bother him if you ask him to do two or three jobs and do yeah. the work. Hey, and he's a like he's an East End boy, he's a West Ham boy, so mm. he's uh, he's playing for his uh, his home team. Mm. Thomas, that's four games in a row he scored. He scored the last minute winning against Forest, mm. and he scored two goals to get his country to the Euros, and now he mm. scored another one. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, he's he's doing all right. Thomas is is done great, and he's mm. you know. No, it's difficult because we're trying to get the right blend of the team and trying to get the right players in, but we're also trying to get the players who we think are in form in the team, playing in form, and Thomas is certainly in form. As the goals you're talking about, I think he might have five or six this season already as well, you know, so that alone's a a really good starting point. And I thought today when he got the chance, he took it like someone who's in a sort of confident mode Mm. uh, of scoring. Uh, And look, he's doing great, and his first season, I think he got us about ten goals. Mm. Certainly, if he could match that, it would be it would be fabulous. Last one, then, boss. How much of a difference it feel getting back on that plane tonight, having won? Like we've got game after game coming up. If we got back on the plane tonight and lost one nil, it would have set us off badly. Yeah. But we, you're going to go home tonight, yeah. and we can be smiling. We can have a laugh and and, uh, and come back to work tomorrow and be ready mm. to go to Serbia with with a spring yeah. in our step. Well, what I can do then is I can show the players now we didn't play well today, and I can mm. show them. But we're still at the end of it. We've got a win. Yeah. We've, got a, we've got a good win today. End away from home in the Premier League, and for us, we've been it's been hard to win away from home. Looked like it today, but we found a way of getting through it. Uh, we gave away a soft penalty, which you know, on another day might not have been given. Uh, but anyway. The, the resilience stuck at it got ourselves back and yeah we'll go back smiling you know we've got uh, top of the league in Europe we've got another game in midweek to, mm. to go in Europe and you know we've got a league cup coming up as well so yeah. we've got a lot of good things to look forward to Well with both Crystal Palace and Fulham coming up for West Ham earlier on we spoke to a man who played for both of them that man is Andy Johnson and it's a big shout to Egg Design and Build for making this happen these guys are game changers in the design and build scene for anyone looking to see some stellar design and build projects head over to egglimited.co.uk and look out for Egg Design and Build and Egg MEP in the match day programme on the LEDs prior to the kickoff and during the match on the big screens well, I would say, Andy, welcome to the show, but we've just established you prefer AJ. So, AJ, welcome to the show, mate. How are you keeping? You well? Uh, yeah, all good, thank you. Yeah, thanks ever so much. It's an absolute pleasure to be on, and uh, thanks ever so much for having us, yeah. Oh, mate, the pleasure is ours. It really is. So, you started your professional career at Birmingham City under David Sullivan, David Gold, God rest his soul, yeah, and gosh. Karen Brady. Um, yeah. Did you have any interaction with them? And if so, what was your impressions of them? Not, not massively. I was, oh, look, I was obviously a youngster when I went to Birmingham. So, you know, it's, you don't really get that close to the, uh, you know, like the hierarchy back in the day. Uh, but yeah, look, you know, Ralph and David Gold, absolutely fantastic. They were the probably ones that I probably interacted with the most. Uh, yeah. The only time I got to encounter some time with uh, Karen Brady was when she basically gave me the hairdryer to leave 
to leave the club. Oh, <laughs> so, really? Uh, yeah, well, look, look. Uh, so, yeah, I think my career started to go a little bit stale at Birmingham. I had quite a few, you know, niggles and injuries and stuff. And uh, the management changed. So, obviously, Trevor Francis was the Birmingham City manager, become the Crystal Palace manager. Steve Bruce was the Crystal Palace manager, become the Birmingham manager. So, obviously, we'd just been promoted to the Premier League. My goal record wasn't wasn't anything special to shout about at the time. And Steve Bruce wanted Clinton Morrison. Uh, and and obviously part of that deal, Trevor Francis wanted me to go the other way. At the time, I was a little bit against it. We'd just been promoted to the Premier League. We'd been in the playoffs three or four times, uh, you know, and we actually, you know, we actually made that jump and made that achievement to be a Premier League player. I just bought my first house, so as a as an individual, a little bit selfishly, I wasn't overly that 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 keen to go. Looking back now, it was the best best line move of my career because if I wouldn't have gone. God knows where my career could have gone. It could have just ended up, you know, kind of going on a downwards kind of trajectory. So, uh, yeah. So that was my first encounter with Karen Brady. But, uh, Can yeah. you go into detail, AJ, or not? Pardon? Can you go into detail as to what she said yeah. and how she handled it? Yeah, she, yeah, look, it was, it was fine. And, like, I get it. And back then was a little bit old school. And, she, you know, she kind of called me in and literally, you know, kind of sat me down and read me my kind of stats and... You know, I was a little bit digging my heels in. I didn't want to go. And it was a little bit that, you know, if you don't go, then, you know, you could potentially be training with the kids, you know, for the next X amount of time. So, you know, I kind of left that meeting, called like my dad. And dad was like, mate, you know, just jump on the train, get yourself down to South London. We'll sort your house out, you know, go down there, strike a deal and, you know, just get your head down and start again. Reset, basically. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting to hear that that sort of reputation she has of being quite cutthroat to say the least kind of yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're was, justifying yeah. that yeah and she was cutthroat and you know she probably you know she probably had some you know the stats she read out I was a little bit you know I couldn't I couldn't argue with them you know I'd you know I'd hit the ground running when I first broke into the first team but after a year or two you know it did start to go a little bit stale uh, and I didn't hit the numbers that probably I was expected when I first broke in and, you know, I get it, you know, it's a business and, you know, Steve Bruce wanted a certain individual that had had a Crystal Palace and if they did go back down, then he'd had a, you know, kind of striker that has uh, proven in the championship of scoring 20, 30 goals to get himself back up. So I got the whole, I got the business transaction. I understood it. I didn't understand it then, but looking back now and as you get a bit older, a bit wiser, then, you, you know, you obviously understand the, the politics of the game uh yeah i get it and you know to be fair looking back it actually done me a huge favor because had i have stayed there who knows where my career would have gone Mm, well as you say you moved to crystal palace i think you won two player of the year um trophies and pretty much averaged a goal every two games your records is pretty impressive there to say the least and i actually got a couple of mates that are palace fans and i said i've got you coming on the show this week and they were like <laughs> firstly why have you got him on the show he's not west ham related but, <laughs> but there's a, a story to that and then they and then they were like wow that's an absolute legend like you're a hero there so yeah, yeah the move the move obviously was the right one to go to 
to Palace. And unfortunately, yeah. one game we've got to talk about when you're at Palace was uh, the playoff final against us, uh, 2004. Yeah, you beat us 1 0 with Ian Dowie, former West Ham player, as your manager. Can you remember what he said about, like, the the whole build up to the game and what what how he said to get at West Ham and what what did he say about us to sort of and what did the players think to, to generate that victory? Yeah, no, it wasn't really kind of you know it wasn't really guided towards West Ham. It was you know he he come in and we were third from bottom. Mm. Uh, I think it was in the December, and then by the end of the season, you know, we had a chance of sneaking in the playoffs and the momentum that he built throughout the team and the belief that he installed into the players and the club, we just felt untouchable, you know, even going into that final, you know, we all felt we were going to win it and arrogance might be, but you know, you just get on a roll and it doesn't happen often in players careers where, you know, you get that whole dressing room pulling in the same direction, all believing in the manager's, you know, methodology and, we just, yeah, we, we were just going out and we were outrunning teams. We were quicker, we were stronger, we were physical and we were just literally grinding teams into the ground and we were grinding out results even when, you know, I remember playing, uh, played a, I can't remember who it was, played like someone at home and we was a couple of goals down but we still went in a half time and had the belief that we could come out and win it. We ended up nicking a draw but it was a massive point, you know, towards kind of getting in the playoffs. So going into that final, you know, looking back, we had a, you know, we had a real strong belief and, you know, we had a couple of ex-West Ham, you know, players, managers, whatever it was, you know, obviously Ian Dowie was there, Michael Hughes was there. Uh, and yeah, it was, you know, it was a great occasion. It wasn't the most exciting game, but yeah, it was a good, it was obviously great for us. Well, speaking of Crystal Palace, we've got them in our next Premier League game. I know, home. yeah. Um, what, what what do you make to the Palace team this season? And who are the key players that you think we should be aware of and, and concentrate on? Look, I think at the start of the season, they had like eight, nine, ten first-team players out. And I think they've got themselves in a in a fairly good position with 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 having that firepower missing. I think that everyone was nervous about Wilf leaving and, you know, how 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 would that leave and what hole would that leave in the team? But I think the team have coped with it really well. You know, you look at the two amazing talents that they've got on either side of the pitch, you know, Elise and Eze, and, you know, their performances since Wilf's gone and, you know, how they can create something out of nothing. Uh, I feel their firepower is really good. Uh, I still feel they're missing that striker. I think, you know, there's a lot of clubs missing that striker, but I still feel it's a, you know, they're still looking for that 15, 20 goal a season. It's tough to get, you know, but, you know, a striker that will score regularly on a regular basis. Uh, But with the two players that they've got, uh, either side and, you know, Decore and, you know, the guys in midfield, I feel they've got a strong team. Yeah, and I think Roy's, you know, Roy's done a great job. He's obviously come back and, you know, cemented himself now on a more permanent deal. Uh, and, it's, yeah, it's good. Like, you know, the club's looking it was obviously disappointing result the weekend against Luton. But in general this season, I've watched a few games. They've been, they've been good. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mm, that's very true. And after being at Palace and becoming a legend, I think you were voted into the was it the Centenary uh, Eleven or something like that for Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was really unexpected as well. It's really unexpected. I mean, there's been some amazing players play for Palace, and yeah, it was an absolute honour to get that kind of you know to 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 kind of be amongst that team and you know that you know that type of players. You know, it's great. Mm, yeah, Fantastic. yeah, it's really good. No, so it's an excellent achievement. But then, then you moved on to Everton. Now, at the time, you were signed by a certain David Moyes. Um, why, why did you, why did you choose to go to Everton, and, and what were your first impressions of him? Uh, yeah, I thought he was really good. Uh, yeah, I thought he was really good. Uh, the so when we got when we got relegated uh, the season uh, that. From the from the Prem, there was a couple of other teams that come in. I think one of them was Tottenham, and you know, and I was I was really keen to explore options away from Palace. But you know, I had a obviously meeting with Simon Jordan, and you know, he said, "Look, you know, give us another season. If we don't go back up, I'll give you my word that you know I'll give you an opportunity to you know to kind of get away." And you know, I kind of respected him, and we got on really well. So I ended up signing another another contract and stayed for that year. Obviously, we got. You know, we didn't go up the following season. And then, yeah, there was a few clubs that were involved. I think it was Bolton, Wigan and Everton. And, you know, out of the out of the three that tabled the money at the time, uh, yeah, you know, Everton, uh, you know, historically massive club, U- European football, great, great, like, fan base. Uh, and, yeah, it was my only choice, really. Mm. Well, it's well, interesting. It's, We've sorry. Got, uh, sorry, X, go on, mate. Well, I was just going to say back to David Moyes. What was he like? To, what did he say to you to encourage you to join uh, Everton? And what were your first impressions of him? Yeah, no, 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 no he was great. It, you know, he was, you know, you're going to be the record signing this summer. You know, I want you to come up. I want you to be the focal point. You know, we've got obviously James Beatty, Tim, Tim like Cahill. We've got some great players that can obviously play around Joe. And, you know, he literally sold like the club. You know, the club, you know, the, he didn't have to sell the history of the club, but the players that were there, the ambition that they got, you know, obviously Mikel was there at the time, Stephen Pienaar come a little bit later, Yakubu come, you know, there were some great players there. They signed Joel and Lescott out of the time from like Wolves, so we signed at the same time. And we kind of like knew each other anyway, do you know what I mean? So it was, it just felt that, that, that he was building a team and a club to, you know, go in one direction. Uh, and there was lots of ambition there. So that was obviously the biggest selling point as well as, you know, the, you know, the historical uh, kind of story of the football club. So, yeah, no, look, you know, it was an easy one for me. Do you know what I mean? It was an easy one. Uh, uh, yeah. And, you know, it was a great move for me as well. I'm really interested to try and tap into David Moyes a little bit more because obviously you spent some time playing under him. And despite yeah. recent success with West Ham, he does still divide the fan base. I think it's mainly centred around style of play, if I'm honest. Do, as a neutral, as a non-West Ham fan, do you understand that viewpoint from the fans? And what was he like to actually play for in terms of his man management? He, he was... I really enjoyed playing under him. I thought he had a real good aura about himself. He had... Uh, you know, if you, you know, if he didn't play well on a Saturday, you knew it on a Monday and it was right. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, you know, the boys would be firing on a Monday, Tuesday morning, but if you, you know, if you worked hard and, you know, 
were successful and picked up results. That's all he ever asked was just literally hard work. That's all you can give. And he built his team on really, you know, really good, honest pros that work their socks off for the football club. And you can't ask anymore. Do you know what I mean? And I think, you know, people are going to have bad days. Technically, they're not going to be great one day. They might be great the next day. You can't control that, but you can control work ethic. And that's something that he installed on a daily basis. And yeah, I really enjoy playing for him. You know, his door was always open. You could always go up and see him and have a conversation and say, look, you know, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. Or what about this? What about that? And, you know, he was, he, he was, really good for me he was really good and his coaching team around him was great and you know I really enjoyed my time up at Everton probably probably one of my biggest regrets actually leaving the club a little bit earlier than maybe what I should have uh but yeah it's probably something that I look back on but you don't realize how big the club was at the time until you actually leave and look back but uh yeah I you know I had a great time there we had some really good players, Mikel Arteta, Phil Neville, Lee Carsley, Leon Osman, you know there were some great players there and what did you make of him as a coach as well as a, a manager? Was he was he decent on a training field? Did you learn a lot from him? Was there anything that was quite innovative in terms of his approach, or was he pretty standard, hands off, yeah, old school? Was, I, th- I think he, yeah, he took he took some of the sessions, but then Alan Alan Irvine and you know Jimmy like Lumsden took probably the you know the majority of the sessions. Alan Irvine, the first team coach, would have orchestrated most of them, but yeah, you know. That, Mo- I don't know what to call him now, Moisey, Gaffer, bloody hell. <laughs> so he, he, would, he would always have taken like, you know, like the warm-up, you know, like the key, key ball kind of stuff, you know, he, he would mm-hmm. take that. And then when we went into the more detailed stuff, it'd be Alan Irvine. But obviously it's stuff that he wants to implement. But obviously Alan would kind of, you know, kind of orchestrate them sessions and obviously take them. But yeah, look, you know, I've done loads of, you know, I've done loads of finishing. I've done loads of repetition stuff, especially in the first season because I was fit and I was playing. Second season struggled a little bit with like injuries, struggled with form, struggled with confidence. But first season, you know, the, you know, they had me out on the training field all the time, staying, staying behind after training. Uh, repetition, just constantly, you know, just striking balls 20, 30, 40, 50 a day after every session. So when it comes to you in a game, you just hit it instinctively. You don't even think about it because you've been doing it all week. And it was, you know, that's something that they really installed as well. Well, interesting. You mentioned Mikel Arteta there. Now, obviously, I think you went to the uh, West Ham Arsenal game recently um, <clears throat> to, see, to see it, and obviously it was a bit surreal for you. Cause you got your former manager managing one team, and then your ex teammate yeah. managing the other. Yeah. Um, was was it always thought that, like by the players or yourself, that he would go on to be the at the moment looks like a very successful football manager? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't massively obvious at the time, but yeah, there was two two people in that dressing room you would say would probably go on into management in terms of they're just pure hunger and desire to win and how and how much it it pissed them off and annoyed them when they didn't win uh and how self-minded they were as well i guess do you know what i mean i think you need to have a form of that to you know to be successful one as a player and maybe two as a manager uh was 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 yeah obviously Mikel, who's you know gone on and then it's trade under under Pep and then gone on to do amazing things at Arsenal and uh, you know I wish him all all the best of success and you know I hope he does you know pick up a title uh, uh, you know obviously some point whether it's this season next season but look he's building a great team there and he's doing a great job and then the other one was Lee Carsley who obviously went on to be 
uh, you know, the England under 21s uh, or under 23s manager, whatever they call it now, 21s, 23s. Uh, but yeah, he's obviously gone there and took them to a championship, won championships. And so, so two players in that dressing room have actually gone on to be really successful. But they were probably the two, maybe along with Alan Stubbs, are the, are the, are the two or three that you'd probably pinpoint as managers. Mm, mm. Talking of Everton, what do you think of their points deduction? Do you think it's harsh? And do you think they're going to have an issue getting back out of it? It's a tough one, isn't it? You know, it's it's they've they've just not had a great time at all. You know, the last couple of seasons they've been they've been fighting, you know, two for now to like the death of the you know at the end of the season for relegation. You know, they finally start to pick up a little bit of form and start to look like they're playing well under Daesh and then and then they get hit with this sucker punch and it's just like, you know, as Everton fans, you're probably thinking, gosh, you know, when is this going to stop? Uh, but look, I don't really know the ins and outs of why and, you know, I don't really understand, you know, these, these, these different points and how many different allegations you can have. But from what you read in the press, you know, there should be, if this has happened to Everton, it's got to happen to all the others that are under this same investigation. And it's, you know, just because they're the big boys and, you know, they're the giants, you've seen, it's got to be fair. It's as simple as that. You know, you can't do it for one now and not do it for the rest. Whether, whether the other ones that we're talking about, you know, your Chelsea's, your Man City's are guilty and are in that same position and have breached these, these rules, uh, you know, no one knows. But if they have, they've got to give the same punishment. And that's got to be fair across like the board. Mm, yeah, spot on, man. I totally agree with you. Um, well, at the end of your Everton career, as you mentioned, you joined Fulham. Um, why did that happen? And how did David Moyes kind of handle that situation with you as a, you know, you're a big signing for them a few years earlier and he's, he's letting you go to Fulham. How did he sort of approach you about that situation? Uh, it, it, it was, it was, uh, it was a tough move away, actually, because I was really struggling second back end of the second season. I'd had a couple of ankle ops. Uh, I was in and out of the team. Uh, Yak come, started to do really well. Playing with one up front, spent a lot of time on the bench. Uh, when I was getting on, I wasn't I, I, I wasn't in good form, to be fair. I was struggling confidence-wise in terms of trying to get goals. Uh, I was snatching at stuff and yeah, it just got to the stage where I was just getting a little bit frustrated. And then, uh, you, uh, so the goalkeeping coach from, from kind of Fulham at the time, uh, a touch base to see, you know, if I was, uh, happy and, uh, you know, there was an opportunity to go to Fulham with obviously Roy. They were building, uh, you know, a team very much like Everton were back in the day. Uh, you know, they were signing Bobby Zamora and they were looking for someone to play alongside and play off Bobby. And I and I just felt I was probably more suited in a two than 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 obviously wait for my opportunity to play up front as a one. Because Tim Cahill, the team was pretty much be, built around Tim, uh, because he was he was so good and was so successful so successful. Uh so it was always designed Everton with two wingers, striker with Tim playing just like in in behind. Uh, which basically limited my probably opportunity for game time. And I just felt there would have been more opportunity. I felt struggling, felt I needed a fresh start. And yeah, that was the decision around it, really. Mm. So in, in terms of how Moisey spoke to you about that, uh, was that was that a, a kind of a good departure? Uh, I wouldn't say it was a good departure. I think he was disappointed because right. obviously 
I'd, you know, he signed me. I'd had a really good first season. Second season, you know, I was struggling a little bit. But I think he was disappointed to see me want to leave so soon. And I get it as well. And, you know, it was me that manipulated, not manipulated it, but kind of forced the move uh, away. You know, there was an opportunity to get back down to London, which is where, you know, I was in my comfort zones, I guess. Uh, And, you know, obviously I was always from down the south and I was always around that neck of the woods. So, yeah, for me, so, yeah, it, it was a bit disappointing and I feel like I did let him down and uh, I do look back now and think I probably managed that 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 whole situation probably a little bit wrong. Mm, well, that's fair enough. appreciate your honesty as well. It's interesting listening to uh, yeah, of course, yeah, what you're I saying. Think, I think, I think mm. that you need to be honest. Do you know what I mean? It's pointless me sitting here saying that, you know, you know, the club wanted me to go. You know, that certainly wasn't the case. You know, it was me that kind of, you know, orchestrated that move and kind of pushed it through. So, look, you know, it's something coming back on. And, you know, I do feel like I let him down because they did reward me again at the end of that first season. Uh, and then to obviously try and get out of that reward a year later. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was probably managed poor for me. But young, inexperienced, uh, I think, again, you know, there's some outside influences that, you know, sometimes uh, probably probably playing play a part in making them decisions as well. Uh, you know, agents and clubs and stuff like that. But yeah, I look back and yeah, it definitely could have been managed better. <clears throat> mm. Well, like you say, you joined Fulham and uh, Fulham are actually our next uh, away game in the Premier League. What do you think West Ham can expect from them? Uh, I think, look, you know, they've, Obviously, last season they, you know, they done really well. Uh, they obviously lost their striker now, which is, which is a massive blow for them because you know anyone that's scoring that amount of goals for, for a team that's you know predominantly probably going to be floating around the middle to the bottom half of the table, it's you know it's a massive loss. So to lose them goals is you know huge. So uh, Craven Cottage is always a tough place to go to. It's a you know it's a small, intimate, old stadium uh with probably not the best dressing rooms it's yeah it's, it's it's not always an easy place to go to but yeah they you know they play good football uh you know they work hard they're organized so yeah it'd be a tough game but West Ham are doing really well I'm a big yeah. fan of West Ham at the moment yeah well we'll definitely come on to West Ham in a minute that's for sure but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well, that's good to hear you think that as well um, you, you moved on to QPR after Fulham and again there's a West Ham link there because the manager at QPR eventually I don't think became, Harry, became a certain Harry Redknapp what, what was he like to play under and oh. what was your experience of him Harry was cool. I think I didn't get the best days of Harry. I mean, Harry was struggling with his knee. Uh, he'd had a knee replacement when we was at, at QPR. I'd done my cruise shirt again first season. So kind of, uh, sorry, second, no, first season. So, yeah, so I missed quite a lot of time. When I got back, I was in and out of the team again. I was I was getting towards the back end of my career. I was getting frustrated. I was getting slower. <laughs> it was harder to break into the team. And yeah, I think it was just, a, QPR was just generally a frustrating time for me. It wasn't a great place to be. I think a lot of players that were at QPR were probably there for probably the wrong reasons. Uh, and I don't mean that in a in a, in a a bad way, but I think people, there was a lot of players there that were the back end of their career. Uh, that You know, there was some, some good contracts going, I guess. Uh, and yeah, there was a lot of players there that were, you know, kind of really at the last stages of their career. 
I personally got really frustrated because obviously I'd done my cruise shirt. I'd only done it two years before that at, at, at Fulham. So I'd done two, knee, two, two knees basically in the space of three years. So out of three seasons, I only played that middle, that kind of middle season. And that really was the, that really was the nail in the coffin, I think, for my, for my career, because, you know, you kind of get back from one knee injury at 31, 32, you get fit, you play a season. And then the following season you do, you, you know, you do your other knee and it's another year out of the game. And it's, it's just really tough to come back from. And it was just, yeah, it was just a really frustrating, frustrating time for me as well. Mm. And how did Harry, sorry, I can imagine as well, and how did Harry handle that? He was all right. Like, he, yeah, Harry kind of, yeah, just, you know, kind of kept himself to himself. And, you know, I just kind of cracked on with, like, my rehab and that. Uh, and then, yeah, and then obviously at the end of that kind of season, I, I ended up going back to Crystal Palace for, you know, like a six-month period. And, you know, I think that was more not to go and play every game, but a bit more to go back to the place where I started, where I made my name. And, you know, the Christmas time, I'd, I'd kind of torn my knee again. I had another knee problem and it was a little bit like, you know, you need to start weighing up. Do you, what kind of quality of life do you want with the kids when like you're growing up? Do you want to be running around having a kick around with them or do you want to be struggling? And that was what the physio said to me and that kind of hit home. And, you know, I was in a good place, you know, I've worked hard. I've, I've been kind of fairly sensible with like my money and that. And I thought, you know what, it's time, you know, it's time. And it was a, it was a sad moment. It was a sad, you know, cause it's such a, it's such an amazing emotional roller coaster that you you know that 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 obviously you go through for that 20 years and it becomes your life uh so yeah that was pretty much it guys that was that was how it ended <laughs> yeah oh, well i've got to ask you this because it was reported in 2005 that crystal palace turned down an offer from west ham for you at around about 5.5 million i think it was is there any truth in that and throughout your career was you close at any point to joining west ham I wasn't exposed to that one. I know you obviously mentioned that, but I wasn't really exposed to it. So that 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 kind of could have happened, but sometimes it doesn't always get to the players. Uh, look, I think over over a player's career, you're going to have so many different stories and so many different you know people tell you that they're interested, they're interested, but you never actually know mm. until someone kind of does table a you know kind of offer. The closest I was to going to West Ham was when I was at Fulham and it was my second or third season and there was talk of me either going to Vancouver to the MLS or I was going to go to QPR and follow Mark Hughes because Mark Hughes was obviously the manager of Fulham and then went to kind of QPR and that's where Bobby went. So everyone thought I was either going to go there. But I did meet uh, an agent who was uh, and there was an opportunity to go to West Ham but it didn't, it didn't quite materialise in that January window. And then Bobby ended up going to QPR and I ended up staying at, at, at Fulham until the end of the season. Mm, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. Who would have, have been the manager then? Would it have been Allardyce, roughly? I'm trying to think. Who would have yes, been the it was, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. It was Allardyce, yeah. Yeah, no, that'd have been interesting. He probably would have got quite a few goals for us actually under him, but there you go. That's uh, that's for another life. Um, yeah, of course, yeah, of <laughs> um, in terms of West Ham, then, um, what do you th- what do you think of us? What do you think of our squad as a, an outsider, an ex-pro looking in on the on us? What would you give us? Uh, what would you say is your opinion on the on the team and what we can achieve this year? Yeah, I think that you know, obviously, last season was a fantastic season for them. Fantastic season for the club. Uh, yeah, and I think they've got some great players. You know, I'm a massive fan of Bowen. Really like him. Uh, I think he's had a, you know, an amazing couple of seasons. Antonio I like as well. Uh, but yeah, look, you know, I think, you know, it's such a tough league now. You know, it's such a tough league. Uh, 
you know, it's gone to them days when the top six were the top six and, you know, you had your kind of, you know, your top six segregating everyone else. You know, anyone can beat anyone. And it just, you know, you look at the results over the last two or three weeks. It's just, it's just such a tough league. It's really tough. But no, you know, I think you've got a great manager. Uh, I've obviously personally worked under him, so I can vouch for that. Uh, it seems like the team spirit's good, but you, you, you never know until you're actually behind the scenes how good that team spirit is. Uh, and yeah, I've been to a couple of games this season. Played some good football, so uh, not too sure if that's if that's the uh, if that's the opinion of obviously like West Ham fans. Well, it, it, like I said earlier, it's it split really. And again, you let look me, at the recent let success. Me, let me, yeah, let me put it back in your courts. You guys watch them week in, week out. What's your opinion on them at this moment in time? Well, it, do you know what it is? It is a strange one. It is a strange one because, you know, David Moyes on paper has done a fantastic job for West Ham and he's also yeah. delivered the first trophy to this football club of my lifetime. So yeah. we'll be forever in debt to him for that. But there is a, a bit of a frustration around the, the sustainability uh, of his style of play, um, yeah. whether that can affect the atmosphere in the stadium, whether it's exciting enough for West Ham fans to watch. Uh, some yeah. of his game management has question marks at times. Um, some of his relationship with players and coaches has come under scrutiny at times. And I just yeah. wonder, as you rightfully so, Andy, said, Andy, we, we've got a great squad of players. And I think a lot yeah. of West Ham fans just, just sort of fantasise about the potential of where this club could go with this squad with a more innovative, yeah, expansive style of of, um, of play under a different manager. Play, yeah. Um, yeah. But but he, he has done a good job. So it's it's a difficult one. I mean, for me, I don't really relish the future um, for West Ham under David Moyes. Um, but then yeah. other, other fans might, might see it differently. And I think X is slightly differently from me as well, mate, if you want to put your pennies worth in. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm slightly more positive towards him in the sense that, you know, I've, I've had a season ticket since 1990 and I've never seen West Ham win anything until last year under his management. And that includes seeing West Ham in Europe for three years in a row now, which, again, would have been a dream 10, yeah. 15 years ago. So yeah, I'm, much, I'm much more appreciative of what he's brought us. You know, when he came in, we were fighting relegation we're now already this season well clear of it and already yeah. doing well in the cup and in Europe and and whilst Dave's right the style of football at times I've been bored myself at times I think there's things he could do differently and there's always the grass is always greener but I, I for, for now I'm happy with what we're achieving and I can't wait to see yeah, the end of the season whether we add any success to what he's already brought to us so I'm a bit more patient and tolerant than other fans are, I guess, and there's a real yeah. split split in the fan base. And and like, I think it's hard because as a fan, like you always you always want more. You always think your team can do more. You always think there's a different solution. You always think there's you know a different answer to what you've currently got. And you know it's it, that's really tough. That do you know what I mean? Because there was you know there was uh, you know people were getting onto Roy you know uh, you know a year and a half ago when he was here originally saying you know style of play is boring and but you know they weren't losing games. You know they were winning games. It might have only been one nil. It wasn't that exciting football, I guess. The fans were saying, and obviously Patrick come in or another manager would come in. They play a totally different style of football, but not winning football matches. Do you know? What I mean? mm, so yeah. obviously Roy, yeah. Roy's obviously come back in now and obviously put, you know installed them really good fundamentals into the team and the structure and the discipline. But obviously he's got the players now. You know the flair players that can go and you know make things happen for him. Which you know I guess he didn't have that first time round. Or he did, but they were probably a little bit too young. So it, 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 it is tough as a fan. And that's why I love football because, you know, 
you know, you'd be sat against, you'd be sat next to one fan in like, you know, the stands or the terraces or whatever it may be. And he'll have a totally different opinion to you. And everyone sees it different. It's a game of opinions and, uh, you know, and that's obviously the beauty of the game. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Well said, mate. What are you up to these days? Uh, so I was involved with obviously property when, uh, when obviously I was playing footy. So yeah, I set up like a development company and then, and then as like things have evolved, I've got into, different things but we're involved with uh you know like a huge accountancy now and business advisory company that kind of specialize in kind of sport media entertainment so we work with quite a lot of the professional athletes uh which is really nice it's really nice to still have that connection with like sport uh and then yeah obviously i had that uh kind of development company when obviously i was playing football which was really nice for me to to kind of transition out of the game so it was just it was just good to have some you know like a plan b uh, which I think a lot of players kind of, you know, kind of struggle to to think about in in enough time to make that transition smooth enough. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed it, and then obviously you get to meet really nice clients like the Egg Group and stuff like that. They've, you know, I've obviously worked with them for for years, and it's nice to have them on board now as a client, as a multi service client. So it's just good to work with good people and have good relationships with good people. Uh, and I think you you know you get to learn that as like you get a little bit older. Good for you, mate. Yeah, and you mentioned Egg Design Build there. Um, they're sponsoring the West Ham Crystal Palace game that's coming up next yeah. weekend, and there's a lot of positives about the company that I've heard. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're a real good company. They're really good people. It's, like I said, it's just nice to work with really good, high-skilled individuals. You know, they're at the top of their game in terms of the sector that like they're in. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be, you know, servicing them from obviously our accountancy and business advisory kind of side in terms of, you know, helping them with the structure of the company and, you know, doing all their kind of tax and accounts and bits and bobs. So, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's really nice. It's a pleasure to be aligned with them. It's, you know, it's great to to obviously know the guys and spend time with them. Uh, you know, we do some social stuff together as well, which is great. And, uh, yeah, you know, they're, you know, they're a great company. Brilliant. Brilliant. So that's um, egglimited.co.uk if anyone else wants to go and check them out for themselves. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, AJ, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, mate. Thank you for giving us your time and, and the different no, interesting been, stories and insights. It's been a pleasure, yeah, mate. We wish you the very best luck great. for the future. Thanks ever so much, guys. Really appreciate it. I mean, like, obviously, over my career, it just aligns so much with so many West Ham players and, yeah. you know, people that we've come across, you know, I've played with loads of ex-West Ham players <laughs> and they're all really good friends. So, yeah, look, it, look, it's an absolute pleasure to come on. Thanks a lot. Next two games this week, starting with the European fixture. How strong do you think Moy should go for that game? Because whilst it's an opportunity to rotate, we don't want another Olympiacos, do we? No, it's a real tough one. And, you know, Moyes, you know, people don't take this into consideration. He has got this constant dilemma going on about how strong to go for certain games. And, you know, he has to man-manage. And these players and that squad much more regularly than a, a, a team that's not in Europe and not in the cup anymore. You know, they pick their team for the weekend, depending on how it's gone, you know, they would make changes or not for the following weekend, whereas we have to make changes depending on, you know, how many games we've got coming up. And this is the perfect example. In theory, we should be a lot better than them, no matter what team we put out. You know, they're no mugs. They're doing well in Serbia. You know, Serbia is a, a decent footballing nation and so on. So, you know, we can't completely dismiss them, but we on paper should be a much better team than regardless of what squad players we put out. However, this is so important for us and our um, 
ambitions to win that group because you sacrifice the playoff against the Champions League team that drops out. You therefore lose yourself two games. And if we can win that game and Freiburg don't pick up a, um, the three points against Olympiacos, that also means our home game against Freiburg becomes a nothing game as well. So... It's a real tough balancing act. So I think he's got to go strong, but with enough rotation to keep the squad fresh for Palace. So by that, you obviously change the keeper. I would bring in Mavropanos. He should definitely play. I would bring in Kera. He should definitely play. I would bring in um, possibly uh, Ben Rama to start. I'd bring Mabama in to start, but I would have done that. Anyway, regardless of uh, fixtures, I wouldn't risk Bowen personally. I'd put my barber in there um, and hopefully Bowen will be fit for Palace. Um, and I would maybe, you know, rotate a couple of players. Alvarez has played a lot of football over the last few um, uh, weeks. I'd potentially take him out. Um, I'd potentially take Suchek out. Obviously, he's played a lot with the Czech Republic and had a big, had a head injury during that time and so on. So I, I think I'd take him out. So I reckon he'll do, and, and I agree, seven to eight changes. And I think that's what he should do. Yeah. And then you go back to a similar starting 11 to what was against Burnley, um, against Palace, minus Ings up front. And hopefully Bowen will be fit. Um, but if he's not, then Obama. But yeah, I think you've got to you've got to rotate quite significantly for the Serbian game. But sensible rotation because you've got to win it as well. Mm, absolutely sensible rotation. And you know, I'm not being funny. You're right. You can't completely dismiss this side. But at the same time, if certain players are not taking certain opportunities that are given to them in games like this. And you have to question whether those certain players should be getting those certain opportunities. So mm. no excuses for me. Um, no, I mean, it's it, also it, worth considering, sorry, mate, sorry to interrupt you there, but it's also worth considering the young players potentially as well, not necessarily the likes of Cresswell or the likes mm. of, of Bonner, you know, you maybe do give them a go, but you need also need to give consideration to the likes of Skulls, Casey, um, Orford, Earthy, uh, Marshall, you know, any of those really. You know, you've got to give consideration to them as well, as well as is it better to give, you know, Oliver Skulls a game at left back than Cresswell, for example, who is going towards the end of his career. That should be a consideration for for the manager as well. I'm not saying chuck five of them in, because I think that would be too much, but potentially one or two on the bench over the likes of some of these fringe players that have came in and then not performed. It would be something I'd be considering as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, if we if we go into our last game not needing to win it because we've already won the group. I'd give it to all of the academy players. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. 100%. I'll ask you a question though, X. Do, in the European competitions, are those players registered to play? Yeah. Do they have yeah. to be? So, 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 right, okay. So it's not a case of we've got X amount of players that are registered for this competition so that a host of other academy players can't play. They can play. No, it's because, yeah, a player under a certain age 
doesn't have to be registered. So it's right. to be able to encourage young players to be able to be selected regardless because it's the same as our Premier League squad. You know, we actually left a space in our Premier League squad with the, the possibility at the time of Lingard taking it, but obviously we know what happened there. But that we could, in theory, if we wanted to against Palace, play 11 of the young players outside of that um, that squad. I think the, the only, the youngest players that we have registered in that squad would be Ben Johnson and Connor Coventry, I think. Obama wouldn't even be registered. But because he's under a certain age, then you don't have to register them. Yeah, that's good. That's good to know. Um, then it's on the Palace, who are licking their wounds, obviously, uh, after losing to Luton. They're, they're going to look to change that, that's for sure, and take advantage of maybe more preparation and more recovery time than us. How do you feel about that one? Well, obviously, it's hard to play them straight after Thursday, but I do think it's a good time to play them. They've just lost to Luton, which you could argue is a game. If they want to achieve anything this season, Palace, they should be winning. Um, they've had an injury to Eze, I think, who, in that game, who, alongside... Um, at least uh, I, I think he's their two best players. So if he's out, that'll be good. They've got other injuries as well. I think it's a good time to play them. You know, if I was to pick a team to play at home, um, that I would try and get three points from other than the obvious ones, like, you know, maybe Burnley or Sheffield United, then, um, Palace would be right in that mix. And so I do hope that we'll have enough to get, get wins in both games and you know if we get if we get wins in both games I think that's um was it be what's the, uh, six wins out of seven would it be something like that and that's a good a good run to be on definitely well, it really is predictions for both games I'm, I mean I'm personally going to go for a 2-0 in the, the uh, Europa League mm. and 2-1 win against Palace I fancy both games to be fair I think I'm going to go 2-0 in Europe as well and I'm going to go 3-1 in the league Excellent. Well, let's hope so, mate. Let's hope that's the case. Okay, it's that time again. Calling all West Ham fans. Are you a patron of the West Ham way? If not, why not? For the price of a point, you get top quality content on a daily basis to include the famous West Ham way podcast with Dave and X. Over 100 interviews with ex-players and celebrity fans. Mad Dog Bites with Martin Allen a show with Tony Cotty, the U Irons podcast, the West Ham Way USA, a transfer window show with Demis Chef, an expert pre-match analysis. There are virtual events with ex-players, written articles, match day discussion, away day burger reviews, in-depth match reports, and if you want to be the first to get reliable, accurate, exclusive news on all club affairs... You'll get exactly that from the best ITK in the business, ex-West Ham United employee. All that and more delivered to your phone for a fiver a month. It's the daddy. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.